The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. It's good to see you. Good morning. It's good to see you. Oh, there. Wow. That was an awesome response. Uh, my name is Stacy Croft, if I haven't met you. And if you're just kind of visiting in town, family or friends, uh, welcome to our church at Christ Pres Music Row. We love having you here. And um, um, I'm the one who typically gets to uh, pastor and preach here. And um, I love being here. And I love our people and love getting to see all those folks run forward and ask for candy canes and spend some time together. Well, you know, um, from time to time, especially as a pastor, I don't know if you've heard this, um, there are things called a sabbatical um, where people take time off. And I remember I was at the beach with my family and saw a pastor from Nashville down in, uh, in Florida. And he was by himself on the beach. I was like, oh, what's he doing? You know, I didn't know what he was doing. And it was good to see him. And I, I said, hey, uh, what's, what's happening? And, and, um, and he was like, I'm on a sabbatical, you know, having like about a week to himself. And then his family was going to fly down and join him or something like that. And a sabbatical is a time, I don't know if you've heard of that word, or it's typically used towards like pastors and, and people in, in those kind of professions. But it's, it's kind of a time and a step away and uh, to refresh and replenish. And uh, it comes from the word Sabbath, right? Uh, to rest. And so he was down there taking a, a week off to rest. And, um, you know, my family was like, oh, it's good to see you. And, and as my family was walking away to kind of get our chairs and get set up, I was just talking to him for a little longer. I was like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? And, and I go, has it been just so nice? And he goes, it's been awful. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that is not the response I was expecting, right? I was not expecting, it has been awful to be away and to rest. But I, was, I pressed him a little further. I said, well, okay, obviously, I wonder Why? And he goes, it's not what you think. You know, when, when you get away and he, all those external things that provide conflict and, and unrest, maybe in a distance um, or uh, some separation for a moment, but what he realized what comes crashing in very quickly is the internal conflict of just his mind, like his heart, his mind, things he, he hasn't really gotten a chance to deal with. And and you realize in that moment when I'm sitting there talking to him, I'm going, okay, it's not just about, and I've heard this before, but to, to talk to another friend that's dealt with that. And I've, I've dealt with that in, in small ways when I've taken small sabbaticals of sorts, that, that when you take that moment, it's not about just separating from work and, and being away from everything and noise. It's also what's going on in here. There's external and internal conflict. Conflict all around us. It's like you can't get away from it. What do you do with it? You know, if there's a word that comes up during Christmas and it happens all the time, it's the word peace. You know, we have a lot of words that come up. Joy, right? Mary, you know, you get those Christmas cards that have like one big word on them, you know, with your picture. It's like, Mary, you're like, okay, you're Mary. I get it. Peace is one of those, right? Uh, we see it everywhere. Peace is, is and not just a word on a Christmas card, but if you read the Old and New Testaments, you'll see the word peace littered throughout. It's a word that that's, has a very deep, profound meaning. And it's one of those things that, that as we've been looking at the names of the Messiah, we've actually been looking at one verse this Advent season for these four weeks. 
These four weeks of Advent, we've been looking literally at one verse and a, a few other supporting verses for those that, um, that, that connect to it, but really one verse from Isaiah, and it's about four names of a Messiah, the one who's going to come. We've looked at <clears throat> Wonderful Counselor, we've looked at Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and today we land kind of the plane of coming into the last of these names in our Advent season, which is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. What in the world? Who is this person? Who could carry all these names? If you were a first century uh, Jew reading this, you'd be asking that. If you were in the 700s BC even, when they would be hearing this from, from Isaiah's book, they'd be saying, who can carry these titles? And commentators say this has to be someone that is so incredibly powerful, they, they say this, that it's an invincible figure that strides along the world stage. That it has to be an invincible figure that strides along the world stage. Who can stand up to conflict? Not just external conflict, but internal conflict. Has to be an invincible figure. Has to be someone greater. We're going to look at who this is. We're going to look at the book of Isaiah in this last passage as we kind of unpack it. <clears throat> and I'm going to read for us from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And then I'm going to read from the New Testament of chapter uh, 16 from a book called John, which a guy named John wrote. And in fact, in our new series in, um, in January, we're going to look at a few chapters of John. Uh, when Jesus spoke to his disciples in a, in a place called the upper room, and that's where this takes place. This, in this upper room discourse when he's trying to encourage his disciples about how they have so much conflict, not just between each of them, but the conflict they see outside and the conflict they're dealing with. How would Jesus encourage them? The Messiah himself. So hear this from Isaiah 9 and then from John 16. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. John 16, 25 begins this way. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and, and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, as we look at this, as we have been unpacking uh, the passage and the verse, really the names of the Messiah of Jesus, 
Uh, we've done it in a really simple way, and we're going to do it as we kind of finish the series today. Uh, <clears throat> each of these kind of wonderful counselor, mighty God, has kind of name and descriptor with it. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the word peace. What does peace mean? And then we're going to talk about what, who is the prince of peace? How, how does that work? Uh, what does that mean for not only someone in that century of Israel, but for us today? Let's talk about both peace and the prince of that. What were they looking for? You know, we ask that, it's interesting, we really need to ask when, what they thought of when they thought of peace. Uh, when, when, a, when an Israelite from 700s BC is asking, what is peace, prince of peace? For Israel, Isaiah is writing to them about major issues in their life. And in, in Israel, the people of God are not doing well. Uh, if you heard me say, they've had both, and as we've talked about, internal issues. <laughs> uh, they're struggling with a lot of what we would call idolatry, not just idols like little things. They're worshiping things around them to help their circumstances, to bring them peace. If I can just get this in order, then my life will be okay. Sound familiar? They also have very external issues. There is a huge nation called Assyria that is looming in the distance, ready and about to overtake them, to destroy them. And they're trying to make treaties, even with some of their smaller enemies, to try and build, amass some sort of warfare to, to fight against Assyria, but to no avail. They will be crushed. So both internally and externally, they are struggling. They are not doing well. And what they're looking for in their idea of, of this is they have anxiety about what do we do? Who are we? Is they read this Prince of Peace and they think, what is peace? The, the idea of peace for them would first mean, man, extinguishing all of the conflict outside. To know that Assyria or any other person or, or, or country or, 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 or group coming against them would have no strength that they wouldn't have anxiety about what would be pressing in on them. And internally, peace would be not having to, to look at everything with an anxious hands to say, what do I grab that'll help me feel like my life is okay and in order? It's the idea of what they would say, shalom. The word shalom and peace in Hebrew meant a completeness, a wholeness, better than what probably we think of like a rest, I mean, think about even my friend at the beach when he was talking about, gosh, this has been horrible. <laughs> he wasn't talking about the absence necessarily of conflict. He was talking about something was missing. Shalom is something of a wholeness. It's, it's, it's the, the, almost described in the Old Testament like, a, like a, a fabric that's beautifully woven together, but when it's torn apart, you can see the threads and the holes through it and random strands. That's what Israel is facing right now without peace and what they're longing for. Awful, imminent threat of war and imminent anxiety in their worship. But what does this mean for us? What kind of peace are we looking for? Uh, look, as, as a new year, one year ends and a new year begins, I wonder how many of us look at 2023 and literally think, man, I wish I could have done this better. I wish I could have seen more returns in the way that I handled my work. I wish I could have 
held out on, my, on the things that I really prayed for and longed for in my own life, Think ways I wanted to change, things I wanted to see about myself. And we look to maybe 2024 and go, it's a new year, we can hit reset, whether it's on a diet or whether it's in our character or relationships or anything. And we wonder, gosh, if I could just do that, maybe I'll have the complete life that I'm wanting. So, something or someone maybe to make our money safer, our lives safer, this world safer. Some place for us to, to land where we have connection. Maybe we look back over this year or maybe even a few months that you've been here or maybe moved here. Some people in this room have moved here within even the last few months. And look over your life here and where you were before and think, man, well, I feel settled at any point, not just in a home or in a place, but with relationships. Maybe it's been difficult. Peace, if you think about it, peace has its, its reach into so many things that we long for, so many places that we desire. You know, Nashville was awarded something recently. I'm sure you'll enjoy this. It was awarded the second most angry place to drive during the holidays. I don't know if you know this. And it was on the internet, so it has to be true. I'm like, how does Nashville get the, how are we like hot chicken place and, you know, worse driving and like commute? I don't know how we get these awards, but somebody's saying it's, we're angry drivers, and I'm sure you've encountered it. I've experienced that. I've experienced being in the post office and people literally yelling at each other and someone leaning around after I'm getting stamps, trying to get stamps for the Christmas cards, you know, that say peace on them, how ironic. And they say, hey, it's Christmas, as if that's supposed to be the magic, you know, pill that everybody goes, oh yeah, it didn't change a thing. How many of us look at a post or run into somebody around this time of year or anticipating running into family or friends back at home or in the city that just stir up nothing but conflict, nothing but unrest or discord. It could be in your own marriage. It could be between you and a sibling. It could be you and your children. What is that? You see how far it goes. It goes and goes and goes. But here's the reality. <laughs> we can't get peace by manufacturing it. The peace that this prince is bringing is something bigger. You know, it, it, Jordan brought it up a minute ago about the peppermint and the shepherd's crook. It's interesting when that passage happens and the shepherds encounter angels coming to them. We sang this song. You know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? That's about the angels coming to the shepherds. And here's what's interesting about that for the shepherds. They come to them and they say, peace to those on whom he is pleased. That's what the Lord, that's what the Lord says. That peace to those on whom he is pleased. But he's bringing this to shepherds. And if you know what shepherds were, they were people that were not the cute, like, you know, little tykes that we have that we play in the, in the little setup in the manger scene. They were actually excluded. They were rough. They were seen as not people you wanted to hang out with or be around. 
They had poor reputations. All the religious and high leaders saw them as outcasts. And here's the irony. They were not only outcasts socially, but religiously, because they dealt with all the animals that made them unclean, and yet they were caring for the animals that everyone would use to sacrifice to the temple in order to come before God and say, here, I'm clean. How ironic. And yet, where does the court of God come? Where does it come? It comes to a field where shepherds are. That's why Hark the Herald Angels Sing is such an amazing song. It's coming from Luke when the court of heaven is singing and, and all of a sudden these shepherds who are doing their job are in the midst of royalty. And the angels are singing and they're brought in. The unclean outsiders are brought in. Those who have no peace socially, religiously, are brought into the inside, into the royal court. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing happens this way. By the way, when Hark the Herald Angels was um, first comprised, when Charles Wesley uh, made this, um, sorry, John Wesley wrote this, he was inspired with this song by the London Bells. And he, at first, the, this, is, this is a funny note, it, it, it rang out, um, Hark, um, it, this is such interesting. Hark, how the welkin rings. In other words, how heaven rings. But his friend, George Whitfield, said, you need to change that line. And you know what they changed it to? Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. They put in the language of the newborn king, not just of the bells ringing and of heaven, but what is the focus? It's not on that. It's on who comes. See, here's the beauty of what peace is. It's not something we can go get. Christmas is so upside down. Christmas is about what came to us. That we don't grab peace. Peace comes to seek us out. Why do angels say, hark the herald? What is being heralded? The good news that God brings peace to those in whom he's pleased. And how does he do that? Through a prince, through reconciliation. See, think, think of the language of Hark the Herald Angels sing. <clears throat> Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. You realize that peace isn't just for us to have our days strung together well in a row. But the peace that's actually needed is a peace of reconciliation, not just with those you don't have on this earth, but with the one who created this earth. Reconciliation with the one who made it. See, Christmas isn't just about a warm feeling to gather families and friends and to make us together because sometimes if we're being honest, we realize that Christmas can be the most lonely place and time of the year. It can be the most difficult for us. What penetrates the loneliness? What scatters the darkness? It's to know that reconciliation is brought not by us to each other, but by God to us. God and sinners reconciled by a prince of peace. And here's what's interesting. When they thought this, 
not only peace, but the Prince of Peace. In their minds, they have been talking about David in this passage. They probably were thinking, okay, who's gonna come after David? This is a golden era. They're thinking, man, that was the era. Just like the other three names really point to who's gonna really come that can handle these things. A wonderful counselor, not just a counselor that we're used to, but somebody who can bring wisdom in all of life, especially in times of war. Who's the mighty God who who holds a title that can be the God? Who's the one who's an everlasting father, which that word father is king, and it's, a, it's the character of the king who shepherds us, but who's the, gonna be the prince of peace? Who's a prince? Well, they would've thought David, but they would've thought, who's David's son? Probably would've thought Solomon. More than likely, they would've thought, man, who ushered in the golden era of Israel? It was David's son, Solomon, because even David himself wasn't able to build the temple that was given to his son. It was given to his son, Solomon, to build the temple for God because David had too much blood on his hands from being a warrior, from protecting, being the king who would fight for Israel. And the Lord said, I will establish your throne forever. And the next king would be Solomon. And through him would come incredible wisdom and wealth. So much so, other leaders would come and be breathless at the wisdom and wealth he had. Can you imagine living in an economy and in a time when things just worked? And it was just glorious. It was beautiful. In fact, his name means peace. Shalom, shalom. His name meant peace. It was a time of peace for Israel. But here was interesting. Even In Solomon's reign, you can read right after that, as much as everything can look good on the outside, it wasn't the best kingdom for everybody. The king that would come even next, Rehoboam, would say, hey, to whomever was coming up, Solomon was a wonderful king, but he worked his workers to the bone. They never had rest. As much as it may look great on the outside, all throughout, it was riddled with difficulty. Solomon had over 700 wives. As a friend of mine said, and as he was reading this and talking about it, he said, I'm sure that was just riddled with intimacy and love. His life was a train wreck. And yet the kingdom the Lord used for that. We can have a lot of wonderful things happening and yet conflict inside and out. Who can come and actually bring peace? Who can come and actually make up for the lack? What prince could do this? If Solomon came and and really the, the kingdom crumbled, even after that, the temple and this point, when the Israelites were reading this in Isaiah, would have been even destroyed. Who who can come and be a real prince of peace? Not just for an era, not for them or us to look back and go, gosh, if we could have the Christmas of, if we could have the decade of, if we could have this person, this place, this whole circumstance work out. Not an era, not a time, but can you imagine a prince of peace who would usher in peace, what does it say, that 
of his kingdom, it would know no end. That's what the passage says. It gives us a beautiful understanding. Listen to it. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be Mighty God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This son of this government, there would be no end to his rule. Who can bring us that? The late Queen Elizabeth, I think, and it's interesting when a ruler identifies another ruler. She said it beautifully. For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. A role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance, and healing. Who's the Prince of Peace? Who could do this? It's only in a person. It's not a season. It's not an era. It's in Jesus himself that reconciles this. Who can come and honestly undo all of the things that we wish could be done well? Who can weave the fabric of shalom the way it should be woven? Who can make it function and work the way it should work? Who could come and make our relationships in reconciliation the way they should? If he can reconcile us to God, where our sin is ever before us, and as I've said before, feels more real to us sometimes in our faults and our sin and our issues than this Christianity stuff. Who can actually do that? It has to be the prince of peace, the one who is peace. Look, this table, at this table especially, this table, if you think about it, is anything but the absence of conflict. (laughs) When we come to a table like this, it's setting us up to understand that because it's set with body and blood, it doesn't avoid conflict. It doesn't avoid at all the irreconciled, not only relationships that we have with one another, but especially the irreconciled relationship that we have with God. There is only one way that we can be reconciled with God. It's through the Prince of Peace. How does John, and in John, write about Jesus saying, in this world you will have tribulation, right? How awesome is the Bible to acknowledge Jesus saying, you will have tribulation. Why are we so surprised by it? And yet, I have overcome the world. And yet, so often we feel like, why is, if he's overcome it, I I have tribulation, how does that fit? How has he done it? He's done it by sealing in coming in the first advent the first coming, that's what we, we live between the advents. We live between Christmas and him coming again in the second advent. How do you live knowing that if he's come once and brought this reality, that he will come again and we will live in complete peace? How do we know that? Because he's beaten and destroyed and held by the collar the thing that brings the most unrest to us, death and hell itself. Anything like that that could come to our face and say, you know what? You can never have peace because I'm always lingering here. You can never have 
peace because all that you are and do, you're going to be, you're going to be held accountable for. How do, you, how do you deal with that when death and hell itself are in front of you? Only if you know that the Prince of Peace himself has come to deal with it in body and blood. This table is for you. This table is for that. And if you've never received or accepted or come to take by faith to believe in this Prince of Peace, the one who has actually brought peace in a way nothing else in your life can, I really want you to do that. He has said it here, even in that passage in John. He says in that, he says, tribulation will come, but I have overcome the world. How can anybody say that? Can you say, I, I could certainly, I think it, <laughs> I think I can overcome it, but I certainly haven't. There's only been one who's done it. And how can he do it? Because he's given his body and blood and he has beaten death itself. If you know he's come at the first advent of Christmas and done that, don't you know? He's equipping you right now and will carry you on until he returns in the second one. Praise be to God. And you get to taste that here. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's stand together.